A Syracuse Sports Center starts now. Good morning, I'm Neil Bodeker. Yesterday, Syracuse women's basketball beat 20th-ranked Texas A&M 75-65. Tiana Mangankaya led the Orange with 26 points and 9 rebounds. The 18th-ranked Orange are now 2-1 on the season. And tonight, Syracuse men's basketball hits the court against UConn at Madison Square Garden. Syracuse and Connecticut have met 94 times, and the teams have played at the Garden the last two years, with SU winning both games. Tip-off is at 7 on TK99, then come on over to ESPN Radio immediately following the game for post-game coverage with Seth Everett. And Mets ace Jacob DeGrom took home the NL Cy Young Award last night. DeGrom posted a 1.70 ERA on the season, the lowest in baseball. He took 29 of the 31st place votes. I'm Neil Bodeker. The Daniel Baldwin Show starts now. Live from New York City, this is the Daniel Baldwin Show with special guest Danny Shays. Brought to you by Driver's Village, Installations Unlimited Black Friday Sale, GNC Foods Now Hiring, and Pathfinder Bank. And welcome to the big show. You know, I got to tell you, it, it only happens a couple of times a year that I get the rare pleasure and honor to uh, work. What are you doing? You sliding that thing closer to my mouth? Oh, pulling the mole. Never heard that line before. <laughs> wow, didn't even get through the intro. <laughs> oh, Paulie's touching me. He's touching my mic. Learn how to use a microphone. Oh, is that what you call it now? Yeah, Your mic. Listen. Your stick We're in mic public with today, I'm, I'm, gentlemen. I'm an actor. I stand in front of a camera, and other people do these things, the minions like yourself. So would that um, be considered a stick mic, Daniel? That's a stick, that's a stick that's, mic. Is that what they call that? That's all pulley. I got a boom mic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Robin doesn't even look up anymore. My <laughs> wife, Robin, sitting across from me on the phone going, oh, God, two hours of this crap. This took three Danny Shays joins us. Uh, Danny, welcome. Good to have you here, brother. Absolutely, man. This is the highlight of my year, coming out and hanging for the Daniel and Daniel, the Danny, Danny, the Dan, the Danny, the, the, Dan, the Dan fans. We gotta come, we gotta, hand. we got to come up with a name now that Mike and Mike is gone. Yeah, Mike and Mike is history. Dan around. and Dan. So I went deep. I'm opening right up with what I've been carrying around in my wallet for you. I went deep to find this. You know, and I this is lucky rubber. Yeah. <laughs> How dare he you? He boils man. it. When so I went. I went around. Um, you know, I I have a long family legacy. I, I believe still the largest family legacy in Syracuse University history, as far as graduates from the university. Over seventy members of my family now. Uh, my father, his two brothers, both his parents, my mother, her five sisters, and her brother, and both her parents, all graduates of SU. So, obviously, I've been around Syracuse since I was a little boy, and uh, you know, I was a big fan of your dad's. So I went, I went and got this card for you. That um, is so sweet. I didn't know if you had one of those or not, uh, but uh, that's one of your, your dad's uh, playing cards. The Dolph Shays official trading card. There it is. The Dolph Shays official. And I've got, uh, I'm flying the Syracuse Nationals in honor of Danny being on the show and his dad, who was uh, one of my heroes when I was a kid. Well, he's a good-looking man. Now I know where I got it. Man, yeah, that see that? Is, see that, that is impressive. Yeah, there you have Appreciate it, it man. That's yeah, big time. There you have it. So... Let's talk about uh, the trip down here, Paulie. <laughs> how was that for you? How many stops? How many fast food chains? I this guy's I, the I, worst. I didn't hit a fast food chain on the way down. I ate lunch before I left. What did you eat before you left? Uh, Taco Bell. <laughs> no, I ate a nice <laughs> greasy chicken sandwich before I left. Uh, perfect. Perfect. So, so I probably got here quicker than you. Yeah, I didn't leave till 5. 
I saw that, and I beat you here. But I stopped at my niece's house and hung out with the kids because two of her children shaved their heads for my nephew Vance, too. So I posed for a picture with the two little, I mean, really little guys, like six and five and, and seven. So that was, that was a great time to go see them with our heads shaved off. Uh, what do you got going today, brother? Besides, besides Doing this and then the game, and I got work. I'm, work, I'm working around stuff. What do you got to do with the game? What do you really do? Do you think they just magic, this, these broadcasts just magically happen? Well, don't you have, like, the assistant that comes down and wires it all up while you no. sleep? You no. You do all that stuff yourself? Yes. I am a hands-on professional. The great Ed Levine came down to make sure he really honestly exactly what he said. I just want to make sure you all showed up. <laughs> <laughs> he goes down. He sees the bodies are here. But he was very happy today. He was yeah. in a very good mood. Well, it was pretty comical because he's talking about all these, you know, Ed and I go back way longer. Than, I mean, back to my college days, 40 years ago. And so... He shows up. He says, Daniel, hey, great to see you. Hey, I texted you for dinner. I'm like, what am I, chopped liver? No one, texted, right. no one texted me for dinner. And he goes, oh, you showed up. Yeah, I, was th- I, I thought you probably would. <laughs> I guess I have the reputation. At least I show up. That's the high ranking, isn't it? Yeah, he, find, he finds a, a flaw with everything, though. He's like, hey, I don't, what's up with the signage? You know, it's like. He didn't think that was enough? No, well, what, we're in a hotel lobby. There's not a lot we can do. Can we dangle it And somewhere? we also have three other broadcasts that are happening that need signage, so it's kind of what a... What about Robin in an ESPN bikini? How about you guys wearing ESPN shirts? That'd be nice. What are you talking about? I'm flying the Dolph Shays memorabilia. Uh, it looks awesome, man. Yeah, the old Nationals. You guys are both in warm-ups. We're yeah, professional. but they're, yeah. they're Syracuse warm-ups. Right. We're flying the colors of the team that we're rooting for. Pays right? to advertise, baby. Right. Yeah, what's your problem? Is Josh on the line? Is he there? Is he yeah, sleeping? Yeah, he's sleeping. Hello. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Can I help you? What's happened back at the studio, Josh? You know, I'm just holding it down, boys. I got, the tattooed on the, I got tattooed on the air this morning. You did? Yeah, I got tattooed live on the air. You're missing, you're missing a big party up here. Wow, bro. What did you get tattooed? A dumpster fire, which is the story of my career. <laughs> on that damn crappy Baldwin joke, he had, he had, you, 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 you missed he had the greatest thing. We played this joke on him, saying, man, I had a big meeting with Ed, but um, we're going to talk about it on air. And he could see him just seething, like, what? And there was this whole controversy over who gets what office and, and so on. And he, he looks me right, at, right in the eye in the air, and he goes, they're never giving you an office. You realize that, right? And I was like, okay, we'll see about that. Well, of course, they never gave me an office. Right. He was exactly right. But we told him there's, you know, there's some big changes coming up, blah, blah. And he just turns around, he, he bursts, and he goes, what am I going to do? Quit my show and do the damn Daniel Baldwin show all the time? We just looked at him like, whoa. We were, we were paralyzed. Love you, bro. I love you, bro. Come on now. Yeah, love your show, hey, too. If, uh, Tattoo dumpster fires. Uh, <laughs> if Paulie wants you guys to wear ESPN gear, he should get us all ESPN warm-up outfits. We should all have matching warm-up outfits. Yeah, what's, why don't you listen, man, dip into the well. You got the credit card. Josh told me he's got a K-Rock card. You know what I got? I got a parking spot behind the building that I get jammed in by everybody else. That's what I got. Speaking of parking, the guy who was parking my car today or yesterday goes, Hey, uh, what are you and Baldwin filming down here? Oh, we got a new show called The Mole. Yeah, we're shooting <laughs> The Mole. He's probably The Mole. That's yeah, I like it. It's an adult he's film. Mole. He's a total mole. <laughs> it is an adult film. It's about burrowing. <laughs> <laughs> so... While you're there, do you you have so what ready for segment two? Uh, I can have it ready. Yeah, it's not up yet, but I will have it. Wow, it's only I didn't, uh, eight I minutes. Did, away. I didn't know what time you away. had, uh, Mr. Wildhack. Is he joining so, you today? 
Wild Hawks at uh, ten thirty. Uh, you know, you could always have Neil Bodeker pull it up. You guys threw some names in that Sports Center for him. I'll tell you what, he had smoke <laughs> coming out of his ears. Ah, yeah. <laughs> he had. He did. It's smoke I coming out of his ears up here. <laughs> I, I, I could see his his eyebrows burrowing into his eyes as he's concentrating on the letters to make sure that he enunciated each one correctly. Come on, I come it, Jimmy Chonga, one twenty-five. <laughs> Who wrote that for him? Was that Seth? Yeah, with my permission. Oh man, that's perfect. We should give him, even if it's not true. We should give him names every single update that he does that are just off the planet. Um, that that'd be perfect. What is this? Uh, John Wildhack's office just called the studio. He'll be here in 15 minutes. Wow, Johnny Wildhack showing up. Yes. Yeah, so. Do you think Big Ed called him? You think Big Ed no. called him up and said, "I what think the you." Hell is going? I think, Ed, Ed runs the city. You I think you. That. I think you put the pressure on him to come down because he said, said he was going to call, and you're like me. Well, you know, I mean, listen. If you're in the city, and you're the AD. And this is the ESPN. There's a. There, we should talk about this with, with with him, really. So one of my things that I I don't get um, about this business, and I'm learning more and more about the radio business because it is definitely very different than the business I'm from. For instance, if you're on the nine o'clock show uh, on NBC, and I'm doing an NBC show at eight o'clock, I'm your fan. We're both on NBC. If you're on my show and we're on the same show together, I'm your fan. If you get nominated for Emmy, you, I want you to win. I want, we're a team. You know, I mean, of course you want to be nominated yourself. And you certainly, if you're on another network that's on the t- same time slot, you want the whole bus to blow up and drive off a ravine. But not when you're on the same thing. That is not true of radio. <laughs> Let me tell you something. It is very much you're an island, as I've learned. You know, you, this is this show and this is this show and... You know, they there's not a lot of cross communication. There's not a lot of, and I don't get that about Syracuse because we are the ESPN entity in the city. The sports shows on that city. Um, let's uh, Stephen A. Smith comes up to speak to the team. No one told ESPN that Stephen A. Smith was going to be in town. He works for ESPN. You would think we'd have been there to say hi to Stephen, who by the way started his career on Best Damn Sports Show period with me. So. You know, I mean, just there's just weird stuff that there's these different uh, island entities that don't seem to work with each other. That I would love to change that. I would love to change it. Why I don't speak to Dino Babers every week, but he does Gomez and Lisa. What the hell is he doing Gomez and Lisa for? We're the ESPN show. He does uh, X. Let me explain the radio. Yeah, there's... please. Yeah, please explain it to me, Polly. Oh, great one. Well, there's drive time shows. Yeah. And those yeah. shows get the big guests. Uh-huh. Morning drive and afternoon drive. Right. Axe has afternoon drive. Right. So, well, and Axe is a, a a great reporter. He's a great host. I listen to Axe. I like his stuff. He's, you know, he's not also afraid every once in a while to throw it out there and and be controversial or ask a tough question. So I enjoy listening to Brent. Um, and and he's been here way longer than me. There are certain things though that you get from coming to us on this show. Um, like my last name and different stuff like that when you have events and you're doing stuff. And John uh, has, has been wise enough at a fundraising thing he just did to invite me to that. Because, again, 
I'm going to help you. You can take me if you're Ed Levine and bring me in the other room and say, we want these guys from such and such Bank of America. Go over. And I'm going to go up there and be a soldier. God, we love you guys. And what's happening? And how can I help you? And that's how we work to get more money into the station, more stuff. That just doesn't seem to happen. I never meet with anybody from marketing. I never meet with anybody from, I get told, you're on the 50-yard line for the extra point kick. <laughs> How is that? Why do you do this to me? Like, what do you mean? These are off-air conversations. You the, constantly you, just... You, you turned around and said you're going to tell me. Did he not say... See, I heard clearly. Gonna, said, uh, let me tell you about the radio business. Let me tell you about the radio business. You, that came yeah, from the bowl. AM or AM drive, afternoon drive are going to get the coaches because there's more people listening. And so, then, so, no, so... Nobody's listening. Uh, <laughs> but if, but I'm wondering if you're Dino Babers and... Um, Lisa Chalenza wants to know what color your lucky underwear are as your poignant question that she's asking on the Gomez and Lisa show that more people are listening. See, so there's a thing that happens now, and I, and, and, and I, I, I honestly, I get what you're saying. That's a very old ABC, NBC, Turner, Turner Network thing that you'd say in the 70s, 80s, and maybe into the 90s. Because now we're dealing with millennials. So if you want to know what they really do, you want to target your audience to the demographic that you really are shooting for so if you're listening to espn and there's only five thousand people listening or you've got twenty five thousand people that could care what happens with dino babers that are not sports fans so demographically speaking i will guarantee you that the people that are listening to our show and brent tax and those kinds of show are people that are that are making over ninety five thousand dollars a year that are the people that are going to go ahead and patronize the piece the 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 driver's villages and the and the billy facillos of the world that buy a new car at least a new car every three years uh, take a look at that because that that's what it's come down to now it's much more targeting what you're looking for to advertise for and i promise you the people that are in the know in sports are not listening to the morning show. They're not listening to fart jokes and. Well, they're, and, and, they're on. The, he's spread out amongst all. You the leave states. my morning show fart jokes out of this. <laughs> no, 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 no. Listen, you are the king of the morning. Thank I you. I would never contest that. I know, and, and you know what? You absolutely service the people that are listening to your show, which is why you're going to do Red Bull commercials, which is why you're going to do product placement that you do with the occasional stuff that you do that that's that's that crosses over into what Gomez and Lisa or what we advertise. But you do have a product line and customers and stuff that you service that cater to the people that are listening to your show, which is a little zanier than an ESPN show. Would you agree? I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and you do it well. Thank you. You do it well. Uh, let's go, and we're going to come back. We're going to play a very, very abridged So What? Live from New York City, this is the Daniel Baldwin Show with special guest Danny Shays, brought to you by Driver's Village, Installations Unlimited Black Friday Sale, GNC Foods Now Hiring, and Pathfinder Bank. Hey, now, and we're back. Joshy Josh, what do you got? You went too fast for him. I'm oh, so excited. Again. Hey now. It's time for. Um, I just can't hide it. I'm about to lose control and I just can't. Um. So what? It's unlistenable radio. You understand the me? Daniel Baldwin Show. So what is brought to you by the Wildcats Sports Pub in Camillus. All the games voted best sports bar in Syracuse by the New York State. Uh, sorry, the Syracuse New Times. Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus. 
Notre Dame opens as a 10-point favorite in the Shamrock Series game over Syracuse. All right, hang on a second. While my wife tries to smooth with John Wildhack right now, John, you want to throw this on and play this game with us? Because this is right up your alley. You wanna, so, you... so we're John Wildhack, athletic director of what, Syracuse What game, University. Daniel? Uh, so, so go ahead. Robin, stop flirting. Um, <laughs> she's not. She's kind enough to ask me if I want coffee. So, so what? <laughs> in case oh, my wife's listening. <laughs> so, hey, is Danny. that what they call it now? Coffee. <laughs> hey, you want some coffee? Yeah, have a little coffee. Have a little coffee. You like that light and sweet? <laughs> um, so, so, so what is the game we're playing? Uh, so what? So what? Josh is going to read us uh, some something about sports, and you can either say so what because you don't care, you don't think it matters, or if you don't say so what, you have to tell us what you think about it or why it's not a so what. Josh, hit it. So do the story once more. Notre Dame football opens as a 10-point favorite over Syracuse at the Shamrock Series. The over-under is 61.5 points. That's a big over-under, 61.5 points. There's going to be a lot of points for it. I was going to say I'm taking the over on that. Yeah, I'm taking the over on that, too. And how much is Notre Dame going to get? Is that <laughs> well, just our well, over-under? Well, well, he, here's the thing. Uh, you know, there's a couple of factors involved here. Number one, um, even though this game is being played technically in the state of New York at Yankee Stadium, um, don't be foolish enough to think that there's going to be a predominantly larger crowd for Notre Dame because of their recognition and their affiliation with Ireland and, 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 and the whole, that whole thing. But... When Notre Dame was home against my alma mater, Ball State University, I said, you got to remember something. For Ball State, this is the Super Bowl. They're going on the road against a nationally ranked team. And if you think Notre Dame is going to blow Ball State out, you're wrong. I know that school, and I know how they're going to play. And it was in doubt until the last two minutes of the game, 24 to 16, the touchdown, and, and, and Notre Dame wins the game. Certainly Ball State covered by a lot. Now, I'm not talking about gambling. If you don't think that for these kids who are out there now with the record that they have at Syracuse University and they want to prove to the world that they're legit, they're not looking to see if they can beat Boston College and get into better than a pinstripe bowl. They're going to try to beat Notre Dame, and they could beat Notre Dame. They could beat them. So I'm not talking about the spread anymore. I'm talking about I think they could win the game. I think it boils down to them getting off to a good start, or at least not letting Notre Dame do a, a 21 to 3 number on them or something like that. If they can hold their own and stay within a touchdown, listen, these guys have scored over 50 points three times this year. Notre Dame is not going to be thinking about Syracuse right now. They're thinking about whether they're getting in. They could overlook this game. And on Golik and Wingo, three weeks ago, Mike Golick said, if I had to pick any game that I was worried about, I'm worried about this neutral site yeah. game against Syracuse University. They can put up the points. So watch out, because I'm going to talk about nine and a half. I'm talking about we could win. We could win this game. Yeah, I think the point spreads is so what. I mean, in today's game, especially with this team, uh, you know, they could easily you know, turn it into a, you know, just a real high-scoring affair, which favors them. The tempo, uh, you know, playing in the cold, getting, you know, getting that activity going, running up and down the field. And uh, this game could, you know, turn into something where, you know, as you mentioned, you know, it's a much bigger win for Syracuse. For sure. And uh, they're going to be they're going to be getting after it. It's, de- it's definitely so what. Because, you know, we, we line up, we play on Saturday. Weather's supposed to be pretty good on Saturday, which is good. And, Daniel, I think you're right. We've got to stop them from getting out early on us. Yeah. And we, we've got to we've got to control the running game. Because uh, I watched some of the Florida State game last week, and they just ran the ball down their throat. And the running back, he's big, he's powerful, he can move. Their offensive line's always big, so yeah, we've got to keep we've got to keep their running game in check. And then when you know when we 
on offense, we have to. Uh, their defense is really good now. It's um, it's really good, but we can we prove it. We can move the ball against any defense, and that's what we have to come out and do. Yeah, I think a key to the game is is. Syracuse has to maintain some ball control. You know, the, the times where they've struggled is when you pay, play a high pace offense and you have a couple three and outs in a row, you know, it's hard to get momentum going. And so for them, uh, you know, because then your defense is on the field, defense is back on the field. And as you talk about playing against a big team, I think that's going to be a real key is for Syracuse to be able to, you know, make, get some, some long time consuming drives, at least, you know, maintain possession of the ball and keep their defense from getting too many you know, back-to-back opportunities on the field. I think that helps, Danny. And the, the, other, the other facet is special teams. Don't underestimate the importance. And our special teams have been fantastic all year. And if you play really good special teams, you can flip the field. And you can make it a long field for your opponent. You can make it a short field for you. Our kick coverage team, I mean, Sterling and Andre have been fantastic. But our punt cover, our kick cover, um, our return game, has been strong as well. Do not underestimate. Because if we're, if we're going to upset, right, because Notre Dame's favored, and you know what they should be. They're 10-0. No problem with that. But if, if you're going to pull an upset, one of, the, one of the areas you have to win is you've got to win special teams. Well, and get those extra points. You know, you've got a exactly. kicker who's, who's uh, you know, come out of nowhere and had a great year. And, Tremendous uh, year. And, you know, to get those extra, uh, you know, points where maybe pos- instead of possessions ending, you end up with a three at the That's end. That's right. You know, those those can add up, especially when you get into a close game. Well, this reminds me of a conversation, my, my strategy, and I think um, I can relate this also to the Clemson game. During uh, uh, Brian Grant's uh, starting of Shake It Till You Make It um, up in Oregon, I got to be very um, – I spent a lot of time with Muhammad Ali every time he would come into town for those two days. For multiple years, I would always sit with Muhammad and speak with him. And blah, blah. And one time we sat there and we talked about when he fought Foreman. And he turned around and I said, well, the rope-a-dope, you know. But he goes, well, I knew it was going to be really hot. He said, and I didn't want to obviously get into a slugging match with George Foreman. I mean, that's a no-win proposition. But I did think that if I could cover myself up and allow him to blast away at me, and, and, to, and believe me, he goes, even in the arms, he goes, the shots that I was taking from him. But remember something more importantly. I made a choice to commit to letting him hit me with his left hand because his right was so devastating. He said, so if you go back, and since then I have, and watch, he takes his right foot and steps a little bit forward towards his towards Foreman's left foot so that the right hand was a little further away from him baiting him to throw left hooks and jabs because they were nowhere near as devastating as that hammering right hand that Foreman had and I say that because I think the same thing in this game I think we need to load up uh, more than occasionally in the box to stop the run and make Notre Dame throw the ball against us because I don't think they throw it as a fa- they are definitely a run to set up the pass. I don't think they're even in our league throwing the ball. But we have been susceptible against Clemson. They ran the ball all over us. A couple of teams, Pitt ran it on us quite yeah. effectively. I think if we make a commitment to keep that other guy or a couple of guys in the box and make them throw it, I'll, I'll play against them with, with, our, with our defensive backfield going one-on-one. They're going to hit a couple, but so are we. But if we let them, That's right. if we don't load up in that box and try to stop that run with how powerful their running game is and their offensive linemen. By the way, I sat with Hudson, uh, the, the Michigan transfer kid, and just – Worked his mother and worked him. <laughs> at one point, at one point, Dungey threw a bomb, and I and I and I cupped a pen in my hand, and I simulated the bomb, and I handed him the pen. I go, "You want to sign now?" Or do you want? And he, la- yeah, we had we had a good time. And we need that kid. We want him to sign. Uh, but but yeah, I I think that it comes down to what John said. 
I think, you know, they're very effective. they got some big horses up front. We have to neutralize. Slow it down. I mean, they're going to run the ball for sure. That's right. But we, we, we can't afford to give them those 15, 20, That's 15, right. 20 runs. we got to knock it down to six and make them throw the ball. You're right, Daniel. That's what you I know, no, You can't give up the chunk plays in the in the run game, and they got big tight. Yeah, they got two. You know, they got a number of big tight ends too. They've yeah. got you know two, three of them that are all. You know, they're six, six. I mean, they're physically they're big. I mean, outside of Clemson, you know, physically this is prob this is the the biggest and probably the most talented team that we've played. Yep. Yeah, right. I think I think they're more talented than Clemson. We had Clemson. We had them. I drove down to the game. <laughs> <laughs> Drove down to the game. I said, this is going to be the Dabo Sweeney payback for sitting Kelly out, and he's going to start this kid. I said, watch, this kid goes down in the first half. He said it all on the said air. said it all yeah. on the air. Boom. On the air. He goes down, and I'm, I'm in the front row with all the Clemson fans going, yeah, he's out. They all looked at me like I was a psycho. <laughs> I go, I called it. You were a prophet. I was. Nostra Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> what do we got next, Josh? By, by the way, that was a long way for us, so for all of us saying, so what? Yeah, so what? You can all say so what. I, I, I didn't No, I know, but so we what. did a lot of explanation on why it was a so what. You know what, bro? This is the day. But you know what? Show. So what? Let's go. Following Tell, Wednesday night's it. practice, uh, multiple Pittsburgh Steelers rummaged through Le'Veon Bell's locker and removed his number 26 nameplate. <laughs> yeah, they stole his Jordan cleats. They did everything. They were uh, posting on Instagram. They were having fun with it. What's your take on this, John, on this Le'Veon Bell thing? It doesn't make sense to me. No, it, it it doesn't, and I think you know there's a point where the team says, you know what, we're moving on. You know, we're we're playing. James Conner's playing great. Mm-hmm. They're on a roll. They're playing really well. And you know, the guys the guys who aren't here, they don't worry about them. They worry yeah. about the they worry about the guys that are there in the locker room. They've got momentum. They can make a run. They're clearly a team that's you know legitimate Super Bowl contender for sure. And you know, I, I don't know what he's trying to do. Yeah, I don't know why you would forsake, you know, the, the money that he is. I, I got. It. If you want to try to make a statement, you make a statement. But make why are you gonna? Was it fourteen million? Fourteen five. Yeah, I mean, why are you gonna just leave fourteen five on the table? Well, football is such a different culture too, because number one, the players are way more interchangeable than in other sports. Great the point. rosters are Great big. Great point, Danny. And you know, as you mentioned, the Warriors they play on the field and you play with who's there, and they're right. used to whether it's injuries or. Trades, you know, they're used to having to deal with just who do we have today, and uh, and you're right, especially guys making you know a little bit of money. They look at a guy you know pissing away fourteen million. They're like, yeah, screw you. Plus, their careers are so short. You know, you don't have time right. to make up that money, and uh, you know, so this is a little bit of a head scratcher for me, even as a guy who's. You know the player advocate guy. I mean, the, this whole thing's a little bit of a head scratch. Yeah, and so, I'm a you know, I'm a player advocate as well. But this this one does. It just it it's at the point now where it defies logic. Did you ever play with a guy, Danny, that was a, a trouble in the locker room or was more about himself than? Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, what you have happen though is those guys get washed out pretty quick because it's it's. Uh, you know the old saying that you know what do you get when you get five gallons of ice cream and you put in a teaspoon of crap? You get five gallons of crap, and uh, and I'm saying that the nice way. But uh, and that's what happens. It's so easy to poison a team with a bad guy, and football more than any will just cut you loose. I mean, they'll no matter who you are. I mean, it, it, I, I still marvel at the number of guys who are all star year after year in their big contract. They play one year and get cut. And they're like, well, you got to take a ninety percent pay cut, or else you're we're getting rid of you. And you're like, wow. I mean, it's it's like it's it's a it's a tough business. I mean, football, and for him to, you know, to have that in the bag and just, you know, flitter well, flitter away. There's not well, many ways to get that back. I'm not saying I know this. I'm not saying I've heard this. 
I'm just going to tell you that in 30-something years myself and being in sports and so on and being around a lot of these guys, including guys like you I've known for years, it doesn't make sense. When some, something doesn't make sense, usually there's something we don't know. And I say that meaning this. If your argument is that I'm not being paid and you know you could come in and play behind Connor and just by signing your name or a platoon with Connor, you get $14.5 we go back to the original part of the argument, which was it was about money and he didn't feel protected. And blah. So why does he not go in? Could it be that there's something else we don't know? Could it be that either an injury or some type of problem or, and you know, and people have suggested with stuff he's been tweeting and stuff he's saying, is he okay in the head? I mean, or, or, or again, I, my forte mm. outside of doing acting and doing this is that I'm a crisis interventionist for drugs and alcohol. And again, not that I'm suggesting, but, but is there something, is there something that's going that- on that we don't know about that's the reason he's really not going to play? Well, and also don't discount the, uh, you know, just the good old-fashioned pissing contest, right? I mean, a lot of times... For $14.5 million, we're going to... This didn't go the way he expected it I've to go. seen it, you know, when, uh, you know, as crazy as it sounds, you really? know, sometimes, you're, you know, your, your ego gets in the way or your pride, you're, you know, they can't do that to me. Who do they think they are? You know, and that thing will stick. And, you know, it's, you know these guys are, you know, they're, uh, you know, they're proud, I, proud players, right? And it's, sometimes it's hard to break through that. I think he thought the Steelers were going to come crawling back to him. And Connor came out and played great, and they didn't have to. Well, that was the thing that he didn't expect. Yeah, right. Connor was gonna... Con- Connor's played. Connor's yeah. played terrific. Woo! You're a great kid, great story, unbelievable story. Yeah, great I mean, story. He, you know, he battled and beat cancer, and he's a great. He's a great kid, and you love. You know, you love to see what he's accomplished and the success that he's having because he's a great kid. But you know, there's a point. Yeah, you, know, you, you can make a stance on, on principle, right? But at what point does 14.5 million kind of trump principle? Right. The reality is the owners are the owners; they're the bosses. Right. Yeah. The players are the employees. They work for the boss. It's you know that's the way it is at any business. And so well, you, you, go, go look. Go back to the Latrell Sprewell, right back in my era. Remember, yeah. Right. He had you know how do you expect me to eat on 21 million? Right. Yeah. And. Uh, <laughs> Well, he strangled PJ. <laughs> well, but that was a whole different thing. The answer yeah. is gonna, and, you, should, and, you should be able to eat well on 21 million. Right? And there are a lot of guys who wanted to strangle PJ, so I, I, you know, you can't hold that against him. <laughs> the fact that he actually did it, though, that's a different, you know, that's a right. different line. But again, that was a case where you know you've seen these, you know, these pride things get in the way, and you know, now you're on the path. It's hard to get off the path without losing, you know, losing face. I'm, I'm mixing up a few metaphors here, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, but, you know, sometimes it's hard to back out, right? You, you get yourself backed into a corner, and it's hard to so what does that, what does that? Let's expand this for a second because I'm, I, I'm in, intrigued when I have the opportunity to speak to someone who played for 18 season of, seasons in a professional sport. What does that look like if you're Danny Shays and you're on the Orlando Magic and it is Sprewell or, or Le'Veon Bell and you're the team that gets him next year? Isn't that a big red flag? Are you not worried about having this guy in a locker room? Or is his play outweigh that? Yeah, the management has that headache. Uh, you know, players, you know, these are guys, you know, players know each other on a way different level and uh, they have a different understanding of it, you know, than management will. I mean, management has the red flags. You know, they're going to. They're going to keep a you know real close eye on stuff like that, but uh, you know for players, I've you know the redemption story is is so powerful. You know to have a, you know another chance to come back, but uh, you know but, but but you know it's interesting interesting attitude because I've talked to guys who you know a lot of pro athletes have come from nothing, right? They've come from disadvantaged backgrounds, tough backgrounds, and a lot of them have the attitude of look, I came from nothing. If I go back there, I know what it looks like. And they, it's a different relationship to the money that way. You know, you, you know, a lot of people will look at it and say, well, 
here's your opportunity for the you know for for the pot of gold. Why would you give that up? And uh, you know, it's just this again other other mindset of look, I came from nothing. I don't need it. Let's go to break, and we'll come back. We'll talk. We'll uh, back, actually, we'll talk. SU with John. Live from New York City, this is the Daniel Baldwin Show with special guest Danny Shays. Brought to you by Drivers Village Installations Unlimited Black Friday Sale, GNC Foods now hiring, and Pathfinder Bank. Hey now, and we're back with special guests. Shouldn't they have said very special guest? Isn't Danny Shays? Doesn't he get very special guest? Yeah, I'm not just a regular special yeah, guest. Yeah, no. No, this, yeah, no. we got, we got up, up no, You're a very it. special guest, and John Wildhack is a very, very special guest. Yeah, he definitely is. John Wildhack, <laughs> athletic director. The specialist <laughs> guest we have at, here today. At Syracuse University. No, you are, Danny. And we were, and we were talking yesterday because, again, it, it, it's in the news, and I, and I want to ask this as gently as I can, be, and, and I really legitimately don't know how you answer this question, and you're the only one qualified to answer it. An amazing year I would in Syracuse football. I would say that it is beyond our expectation already. Had he won, Dino and the team won six or seven games, I think we would have been really happy if we looked back at this year, qualifying for a bowl for the first time in a while, and maybe one game over. Well, we are now nationally ranked. We're at 12. We're perched to possibly break into, you know, for sure break into the top 10 if we beat Notre Dame, which I think we can do. But he, Babers, is popping up on lists all over the place right now. And so I ask you, as the head man, is there a strategy? Is there something that, you know, can you share with us what needs to be done to ensure that we keep Dino Babers here in Syracuse? Yeah, Dan, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. In, in when you have the success like Dino's had, inevitably, in the day and age that we live in, your name's going to pop up. Right, and it's just going to pop up on every internet. Every writer speculates, all right, this coach is out, or this coach is likely to be out. Here's a list of potential successors. So that just comes with the territory. It's part of having success, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, st- the strategy, frankly, has been from the day I arrived is is to work with him to make sure that we put the resources into the program that can make the program competitive. And have you know really sustained success and build build a foundation so we can have success year after year. And Dino's awesome to work with. I love working with him. And we've done a lot of things and we've done them quietly. And that's the way I like to do it. That's the way he likes to do it. Um, but it's not so. It's not like you just kind of react. Oh, we're until we better do something. To me, it's it's part of the relationship that you build as soon as you begin working with someone. And to show them that you want to help them have success and you'll dedicate the resources, whatever they are, whether they're physical, financial or whatever, to help build that program. And in building and in doing so, you establish a relationship and a trust with someone. And then obviously, you know, when you have success, all right, um, you know, you've got to you know, you've got to you got to take care of your people who who. Uh, who make you successful, John? So, what are the important things to Dino? I mean, I've, I've, you know, I haven't had the pleasure of meeting him yet. You know, I've watched their watch him play. You know, seen the interviews and all that. But for a guy like that, you know, with with Jimmy, it's easy. He's from here. But well, uh, uh, only from the standpoint, you know, he's from here. It's easy to identify what's important to him. You know, he's a local guy. Right. has loyalty to the university. Clearly, he's going to get paid. The course of things. Uh, but for him, you know, the the loyalty to the program is something that goes back. That's right. I mean, Jim's years. unique. Exactly. I mean, there'll never be someone like Jim De- Beheim because I mean, the reality is, is is Jim never tried to really fully leverage his success as a coach to potentially go elsewhere. 
And, you know, that doesn't happen in this day and age. That makes that truly makes him unique. And what's important to Dino is I think Dino wants to feel that he has the support, whether it, you know, it's from, from me, the athletic administration, the administration of the university, that he has the support to, all right, we want to have a highly competitive program year after year, and we're going to have the resources to do it. And, again, one of the beautiful things about Dino, he's not coming in saying, you know, I need this, I need this, I need that. When we sit down and he asks for something, it's always well thought out. And it's always, here's the impact. Here's what this will do for the program. And that's I really respect him in, in that regard. Well, you know, in reference to Jim, you know, I'll, I'll tell you something that's a, that's a fact in growth. Things don't grow well in the snow unless they're very deep-rooted. And, and that applies to Syracuse because you're looking at a guy, as I said earlier in the broadcast, I said when I first interviewed Jerry McNamara, are you the heir apparent? And he was like, what? it was the first thing I said to him. And he said to me, he goes, geez, cut to the chase. I said, well, think about it. You're a Pennsylvania kid that went to Syracuse, legendary player, uh, uh, coaching now as an assistant coach under Bayheim, with a wife and a family that has lived here now for years that's okay with being in this region of the country. So when Jim decides, and it'll be Jim's decision, I'm sure, that he's done, aren't you really the type of guy that has those roots that are deeply embedded that would want to be? And, and you know, of course, he tried to skate around it because he doesn't he doesn't really have the right to say that. But, you know, of course, I know he wants to be the head coach for sure. And I, and I say that. Because when you when you follow Dino's career now, he has gone to a couple. Once he's succeeded at that university, he's gone. Does Syracuse's success translate to more available dollars to the program? Because because you know I'm not going to get involved in discussing Dino's personal salary or anything. But does that mean there's more money freed up for assistant coaches to keep them here and his staff here with them and that kind of thing? Or is there a, an equation to that? That's that's one of the elements of it, right? Is, all right, you, you know, your assistants, and it's so important when you can maintain continuity with your assistants and you look at how Jim's done that so well through the years, right? And, you know, Dino's done a really good job of that. And that's important because if you have an assistant who leaves or have two assistants who leaves. Now, if, if they get promoted, if they go from a position coach to a defensive or offensive coordinator, that's terrific. They're growing their career. Sean Lewis was our co-offensive coordinator, left to be the head coach at Kent State. That type of progression you want because that reflects well on, on Coach Babers and the, and, and the entire staff. So, yeah, I mean, part of it is what you do in terms of the assistance so you make sure you can retain your best assistance and you retain as much continuity as you can. And I think you, and how we leverage the success of football and whether it's through ticket sales, whether it's through new season ticket sales in 2019, through our marketing and sponsorship rights that we have, whether it's through philanthropy, through donors, that type of thing. Yeah, you should be able to leverage the success to ultimately you know, drive revenue back into uh, the athletic department. Can you talk about how important it is to go to a bowl game for a university, too, what it does for not, not just you, but for recruiting and for players, those extra practices, well, it's, everything? It's, it's huge because from a recruiting perspective, now we have, now we have something we can show. All right, you come here, we, you will have success. All right, we've, we've got it. We've got the proof. Um, so I think that's really, really impactful. And I think you'll see Dino's already raised our recruiting profile significantly, he and his staff. And I think that will only continue to increase. The additional practice is really important, particularly for the young kids, you know, for the freshmen, whether it's freshmen that are playing or the kids that are redshirting. Because it's kind of, you know, it's almost like an extra spring practice when you get those extra practices in December. 
Seth's great in terms of developing your roster for 2019 and beyond. You know, you get to rest your starters a little bit, right? You know, let them get healthy, let them get them banged up, and then you know, because they're banged up, so let them get healthy for the bowl game, and then to go, you know, to go to the bowl game, it's a reward, right? It's a reward for. It's it's a reward for the team. It's a reward for the fans. It's a reward for the university and a reward for the community. So I think it's something that you know everyone should take great pride in. Mm-hmm. And John, the move to the ACC that that's something that was uh, you know obviously known as a basketball conference right. and uh, you know clearly gets its you know most of its pop from there. How has the football side been? You know now that we're looking back four or five years uh, into the move. Uh, obviously, you know the the Big East wasn't known as a football conference right. necessarily either. Um, so, how does the ACC stack up, you know, conference wise? Now the football is increasing its profile. How does that? How does the conference work for you? It makes it more that much more competitive, Dan. And I think the one thing is when we move from the Big East to the ACC, in every respect of the word competition, we took a step up. Just not on field competition, but f- from facilities, from you know, fundraising support, et cetera, academic, um, and it's great. It's awesome that we're in the ACC, but it's, it's, it's a better league. It's more competitive. And, you know, you look at, you know, this, this year, you know, there's been more, particularly in the other division, there's been, a, you know, there's been a ton of upsets, right? Miami was, you know, thought to be a top 10 team. They've struggled some. Pitt struggled early. Now they're on a roll. They're beating people. Clemson's the gold standard. There's no question. Clemson's the gold standard, and you know, next Alabama, they're the gold standard in the sport. So that's who we're shooting for. And the one thing I've said all along is, if if we're competitive in our division, we'll be relevant nationally. And that's exactly we're competitive in our division. We're in second place next to Clemson, and we're relevant nationally. And that's where you want, you know, that's where you want to be. And when you get there, it's all right. How do we make sure not not only that we stay there, but let's not let's not put it let's not put a governor on our success. Yeah, let's let's keep let's keep let's let's see how far we can take this. Speaking of conference and bowl games, uh, Syracuse, which is crazy to me to say, but is still in the hunt for one of the New Year's Six bowls. Yeah. Outside of that, is it going to be a? Are they going to tier it by record, or do you think it's more important for hey, Syracuse can play in the Pinstripe Bowl? Let's play in the Pinstripe Bowl or the Military Bowl somewhere close that our fans can get to. There's there's because the options are if we win out. If we're fortunate enough to win out, then we'd be in all likelihood in the New Year's Six Bowl. Most likely the Peach Bowl in Atlanta, because they try and geographically match if they can. If if we split our last two games, then the Champs, uh, the Camping World Bowl, underneath the playoff in the New Year's Six, gets first ACC pick in Orlando. So, you know, they will have, if we beat Boston College, then I think there's a good shot that we would head towards Orlando. When you look at most of the prognosticate that are out there, it's where they put us. Underneath that, there's five Tier 1 Bowls. So there's the Pinstripe, the Belk Bowl, the Music City Bowl in Nashville, the Gator Bowl, and the Sun Bowl. And they're kind of lined up equally. They'll look at records. They'll look at geographic proximity as well. Uh, the, the Pinstripe, they, the Yankees have made no secret. They would love to have us come back in a month and a half. They would love to have us come back. It's We'd be fine coming back here. It's a great recruiting uh, territory for us in terms of the tri-state area. We were in the first pinstripe bowl. What they've done with this game since then is remarkable. The Yankees do everything first class, period. You know, So the pinstripe, it is a great bowl experience for fans and for teams. If we're fortunate enough to play in Florida, that's great too from a recruiting perspective as well. John, Robin has a 6,000 square foot castle in Orlando. I just want to remind you. <laughs> 
Just want to remind you. You're going to let him stay there? Is that what you're offering? You know what? Listen, listen John, I, I had the honor. Robin, you know, thank you. And, 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 and let me acknowledge that, uh, you know, far beyond uh, the great works for many years that you did uh, at ESPN, uh, and, and now um, multiple programs that are nationally ranked at Syracuse University, which which is a testimonial to your hard work. The most impressive thing about him was being in his home recently and meeting his wife and his two boys. Uh, you know, there lies the most important job in your life. And uh, what, a, what an amazing, lovely family and very... Um, uh, um, polite boys you know who made eye contact when they talked and please and thank you i mean you know my hat's off to you my friend i mean that was a, a great experience for me in that night at your home um you introduced a new marketing person there's a new uh, right. head of marketing right. <clears throat> what, what what's that all about john tell, tell us a little bit about that what is syracuse is, uh, is on the top of the bubble right now you know in multiple sports and you bring in a new marketing guy what's the hope what's what's that all about? we've got to we've got to expand our our brand and we've got a great brand it has great equity and it's actually it's you know it's a national brand it's an international brand i mean over 10 percent of our student athletes are, are from international countries so we've got to build on the equity of that brand and what i want andrew good rich to do and andrew comes to us from south florida he does some really creative unique things from a brand perspective we need to particularly with football i want to market our brand more regionally we need to get more into albany to rochester to buffalo to binghamton up to watertown you we're the only power five school in the state and you know, we've got a market beyond just the immediate central New York area, particularly for football. So that's, we spent a lot of time in Rochester this spring and summer, and that's, that's a target market for us because it's, Rochester's equidistant from, from, from the Dome to New Era Field south of Buffalo where the Bills play. And we've got we've to get our fair share out of that market. So Andrew's really going to work from that perspective. He'll work with IMG as our multimedia uh, marketing sp- sponsor rights holder. Again, to leverage the success in all our programs, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, foot, football drives so much in this day and age. Um, so we'll we'll be really aggressive in, in that space. We we produce much more of our own content, and we on, and we distribute that on our digital branded platforms, on our Twitter, on our Facebook accounts, et cetera, that type of thing. That goes to fan engagement. That goes to fan experience. So there's a lot on Andrew's plate. He's a really talented guy. He's an upstate New York native incredibly passionate about Syracuse University in Central New York. So we're, we're happy and we're fortunate I, to have him. I couldn't agree more, and I learned my lesson about this back in, uh, like, 89, I think it was, and I was at Yankee Stadium having lunch with George Steinbrenner, and George sat with me, and I said to him, I said, does it ever worry you that you spend so much more money than the other teams? I mean, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Besides maybe Boston and a couple other teams, you're like four times Milwaukee. But he goes, no, he's chomping into a, to a steak. And he looked up and he goes, no, I don't care about that. And I said, because the shipping business is so successful. And he goes, no, it's not the shipping business. He said, I have never had a single season as the owner of this team that he didn't pay for all of my salaries on just the sale of our hats. And I looked at him and I said, I beg your pardon? And he went, well, think about it. Go to Japan, go to Europe, go anywhere. What is the only hat besides maybe a little bit the Dodgers that everyone around the world wears? He goes, and at $25 a hat, I will sell 40 million hats again this year or some nonsense. He said, 
I don't have to worry about ticket sales. I don't have to worry about TV revenue. I pay all my salaries and still make money on the sale of the Yankee hats. And I looked at myself, like, holy crap, I never thought of that. But to get those markets that are close yeah. to us, like in Ohio State, we're in the state of Ohio, everyone wears that hat. Absolutely. Everyone buys that shirt. You're right. That, that is a, a fantastic strategy. And there's great, there's great equity in the Block S. Uh, great equity. You know, also Canada. You know, we recruit heavily out of Canada for all our sports. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's, to me, that's a competitive advantage for us. Who's your ambassador to Canada? Would you like to be? Do you know anyone? Oh do you goodness. know anyone that qualifies more? Why in the world? I think we have one, Daniel. It's a great gotta, Canadian flag tattooed yeah, on I my got, leg. I got to put you in touch oh, with Andrew. I'll Canada. stick with Leo Rowden. I'll stick with Leo Rowden. You so just they... wanted to see my leg. <laughs> you just wanted to see that chiseled piece of steel. I'm sending you to Ottawa Monday morning. <laughs> I'm in. I, I, I got to admit, you you definitely pulled that one out of your pulled that one out of your ass. You I'm like it? <laughs> Say another country. I got the tattoo on this leg. Say it. Just like that. It's so, there. Do, do you have an ambassador to Uzbekistan? Come on, let's see what you got. Send, send him. Oh, hang on, Uzbekistan. <laughs> All right. We got to wrap this up. All right, we're it's gonna, getting out of hand. Right, Someone's two pants hour are going to come up. Go to break. Live from New York City, this is the Daniel Baldwin Show with special guest Danny Shades. Brought to you by Driver's Village, Installations Unlimited Black Friday Sale, GNC Foods Now Hiring, and Pathfinder Bank. What's your frequency No! Talking about the How dare you? There's a bump. Aren't you supposed to be sleeping out there, Josh? I'm trying to, but you guys Josh can't can't get to your microphones in time. <laughs> trying to run a professional Bro, broadcast. A music up here. bed. Wow, that's very strong of you. Oh, you mean we're on? Yeah, we're on. Yeah. We're like, actually on the radio. Oh my god! Yeah, I wish somebody told me sooner. We don't get to edit it. Uh, Big Danny, um, <clears throat> Syracuse UConn. UConn, obviously. You know, not the matchup that we used to have when we were in the Big East. Those were some great battles. Um, you know, I used to love to, that trifecta of UConn and uh, Georgetown you know, and, and that physical basketball they played back when you played. Uh, Corny uh, Thompson, Chuck Alexinas. Who? Yes, the, the old UConn days. Well, they, they weren't good when you played, though. They were just starting to be decent. They had a couple of good players. Like I said, Corny Thompson was a... All Big East player, Cornelius, big power forward. Chuck Alexinas, big center transferred from Kentucky. And, uh, and they're in storage Connecticut, right? I mean, same kind of uh, you know analogy. You've got a, a power program in a kind of middle-of-the-nowhere town that's you know, been able to, uh, you know, was able to build. Certainly the women's program has been a dynasty. Their men's program winning national championships. And, uh, uh, you know, it's... Uh, in some ways, I really miss the old Big East days. You know, I mean, you talk about a conference that came out of nowhere and took over college basketball in the span of, you know, four or five years. Went from, you know, us winning the first Big East championship in the Dome and then, you know, a few years later having, you know, five teams in the final eight, three in the final four, you know, something that's, uh, you know, unheard of in, in college basketball. And, and um, you know, UConn, Syracuse has been, a, you know, just a huge part of that six-overtime game. I remember listening to that game. Or actually, I was watching it when I was in Denver. I was at my cousin's house, and it's the end of the fourth overtime. I'm like, oh, I can't stay anymore. i got to race back. I only lived about ten minutes from him, so it was the buzzer of the fourth overtime. Got in the car, drove down, missed the fifth overtime. We were in the sixth overtime. It was great. And uh, what a fantastic game. And, you know, just, uh, you know, so many of those, those standout games, they, they're with you forever. How does, does a program go? From 
obscurity into, and like you said, one of the fastest rises, you know, that I can think of in college basketball, and maintain that level for, you know, a number of seasons, and then they're kind of not, you know, I, I think Syracuse wins this game by 20. Well, I mean, everybody ebbs and flows. Look, I mean, college careers are so short and getting shorter. Uh, you know, it's hard. It's hard to maintain. You know, you got to get that feeder program, right? You got to keep getting kids and recruits and recruits. You know, now, you know, for for years, Kentucky was getting the number one recruiting class every year. Now, Duke has has put together an amazing run of recruiting. Now, you know, Syracuse went through that little lull when Jimmy was th- going to be retiring. It was, you know, people, you know, all the other teams were saying, "Oh, don't go to Syracuse. They're in disarray." Bayheim's leaving now. He's solidified. Now they've they've nailed together a bunch of good recruiting classes in a row. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, you know, reputation is such a big thing, you know, to be that place, you know, that, uh, you know, to have that juice, as they call it, you know, where, you know, kids want to go there. It's, uh, you know, the Dome is, is really such a big part of Syracuse's identity, Bayheim a big part of Syracuse's identity for the basketball side. And, uh, you know, and you just also can't underst- underestimate the value of Madison Square Garden, you know, to have the Big East tournament there every year, now moving the ACC, you know, is coming in and playing games in the Garden, Syracuse being the, you know, the home court, you know, their home court, no matter who they're playing. I remember even going to Syracuse St. John's games. Syracuse is is three quarters of the crowd. And, uh, uh, you know, to have those kind of just intangible assets in your pocket, I mean, it's so big, as John was talking about, creating an identity and a brand value. Those, you know, MSG is a part of Syracuse's brand value. And, uh, you know, as the Dome is, as Jim Beheim is, as the Block S is, you know, so many of those things just add up to, you know, being able to, uh, you know, to commit year after year. So, you know, now they got to upgrade the Dome. It's time. Uh, you know, you've got, uh, you know, a resurgence of Jim Beheim for the next, uh, you know, four-ish, whatever it's going to be at, at a minimum. And uh, so they've got a, right now pretty good continuity. They've, you know, that's uh, they're jumping up in football. Women's basketball, you know, lacrosse has been a powerhouse. You know, there's just so many areas now that uh, uh, that the athletic department is uh, is on a good roll. So, let me let me ask you a question. So, you mentioned something about the longevity and how quickly an athlete, particularly in basketball, is willing to jump. Um, that wasn't so when you played as 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 predominantly now. It, well, it was really rare. I mean, remember, think back to Kevin Garnett, '96. He was, uh, uh, you know, the first player in 20 years to come out of high school. And, uh, uh, you know, now you go back to, uh, you know, then when I came in 81, we had Isaiah Thomas was the number one pick, came out as a junior. I think we had three, you know, first three picks were underclassmen. You thought the world was going to end. You know, that's how, uh, how it's changed. Now, if, if you stay in college for two years, you must suck. You know, that's kind of the mentality. So it's, you know, that element's really, really changed. Is there something that the university or college basketball can do that takes a kid like, let's look at Tyus Battle. Um, And and so he goes and and semi-tests the waters. And as I predicted when many said that he would be gone, I said, no, he's, he's, he needs one more year. He needs one more year to make himself, if his goal is to play in the G League, that's one thing. But if his goal is to sit on an NBA bench and get in games and play in the NBA, he was clearly with his shooting and some other things, I felt a year away. And, and fortunately for Syracuse, I was right. But beyond that, we look at him and maybe Brissett 
as probably going to move on after this year. It does become this one and done, you know, kind of mentality or two at most. You know, we just don't see that that kid that's going to be an NBA star stay for four. Well, is there the, something we can do? Or well, and, and uh, it's interesting you bring that up. I worked in an economics firm a few years ago, and I did uh, the largest one and done study, uh, an academic study of one and done, why it works, you know, who it works for. And the punchline is that is this concept of perverse incentives, right? So, the the NCAA is trying to keep players in college, but every incentive is to drive them out of college, right? These are kids who go to school to get a job. The job is to be an NBA player. The only pot of gold is in the NBA. So the minute they can get that pot of gold, they're driven out. There's no pot of gold in college. They're forbidden from earning a dollar. They don't get their, you know, they couldn't even go sign autographs to make a thousand bucks. That's you know, they have their entire college career wiped from the right from the books. They don't have the, you know, their, even their own media rights in college. So right now, the you know the the incentives, every incentive is to drive a player out. There's no incentive to keep a kid in college. Oh, you can get to play in the NCAA tournament. Well, okay, great, I get to go to the NBA playoffs, right? That, even that's not an incentive. And so we made a rec- I made a recommendation to the league, uh, and part of it, you know, opened up income opportunities for players, not paying players, but allow them to make money off their own image. A lot of them have control of their own media rights. Things that look, if a Jeremy Grant or a Tyler Lydon could have made, you know, a hundred grand on their media rights, signing autographs, doing things, you know, they may be incentivized to stay in college that extra year. But but if you're okay, so you know, and, and I, that's uh, and that's extra money. That's nothing to any budget. Right. That's just right. Allowing them to have control of their own media rights. Ancillary. Um, you know, but but here here's my my thought on that. I remember a couple of years ago, I was looking at the schedule for Notre Dame football and they had eight games on national television. Eight. Now, as you start to look at what type of income the university drives from eight games, I believe it was something like fifty nine million dollars. The Notre Dame football program does not cost $59 million. So we're not talking about ticket sales anymore. We're not talking about selling Notre Dame hats and shirts. We're not talking about beer and, and soda and hot dogs and, and, and all of it. So that's just from television revenue. And now I would venture to imagine that for Notre Dame, they do it first class. What does it cost? $15 million, $20 million? I don't know. But it just in, they're, they're in the black on TV alone. Why, when you look at the possibility of that college athlete ever stepping field on an NFL program, why wouldn't you pay him twenty five thousand dollars a year? Why? Well, that's and that's the big dilemma, right? Because you've got you look at a program like let's look at Syracuse, right? We're right here. They have whatever the number is twenty twenty five sports to make money: basketball, football. The rest of them don't you know don't make anything. Right. And so you have that basketball football money that has to pay for the entire department. Okay, fine, I get it. Well, that's. Uh, revenue sharing, and and the system works for everybody but the players, right? The coaches make money, the you know the programs get paid for, the administration gets paid for, the travel gets paid for, and the players supply the talent and the and the uh, right and the product, and they're the only ones who don't get the benefit. Well, their benefit is they get a scholarship. Well, I mean, a lot of ways you can get a scholarship that don't involve playing full time sports with all is involved with that, and um, so that's what I'm saying. So. I understand the concept of, well, when we start playing, if we start opening up to donors, giving money to players, where does it end? Who loses control of what? Uh, and, and that's why you know, those can be more difficult solutions. But a simple solution like just allowing a player to benefit from his own media rights, 
Um, you know, again, all that does is bring in additional money. There's no money coming out of anyone's budget. It's just allowing a player to go out and make appearances, do commercials, sign autographs, and, yeah, but the prob- and earn money. But, so. the pro- but the problem, as I see it with that, is if I'm an offensive lineman at Wisconsin, what are my media rights going to generate me really? Well, so, that's so, always, the, but that's always the case, right? But but then, but it, but if you made it a base on position flat fee, if you're the starting quarterback at Clemson, you pay the guy hundred grand. Seriously, you know what I mean? Well, and, and I think and, that's and an you, awesome conversation to have, and I think and. That's, and why ha- that's why we're having it. That's why we're having it, right? The problem is the people in control of that of the of the actual dollars, right? Will then say, well, you know, these are student athletes. They fall back on the whole student athlete thing. Well, no, look, you come to college to learn a skill to get a job, right? What? Why should a job as a professional athlete not be a job you go to college to learn how to do and do that? That's those are the steps. You want to keep guys? Here's what you have to do to keep guys. And, uh, you know, for what it costs you to pay the guy, how much do you lose by the guy leaving? Right? I mean, again, it all comes down to the economics of it. And, uh, you know, it gets to be a, it's, it's a very interesting issue, and it's something that really needs to be dug into. And, I, uh, and one way of doing it is the way you're talking about it, is to say you have a scale. And if you're a you know, football, you know, football player at, you know, these identified programs or you know, basketball player at these you know, top programs, you get X. If you know, and, but doesn't that lead to I'm not going to this school now because I'm not going to get as much money? No, because it's a uh, hang on. Well, again, everything it's, opens up pluses a, and minuses, it's a, right? It's a flat fee. So, so here's a great example, and then we're going to go to break because we've got Coach Griff here. But it's listen to this. This is the type of thing when we analyzed what Tyus could have made if he stayed the whole year in the G League. It's thirty six thousand dollars. If he's a starting basketball player in the ACC at Syracuse and you paid him a hundred, that was a no brainer for him to stay for another year. Well, in part two of that, Daniel, which makes it a great point, which is of course why you brought it up because you're, you're that kind of fella. I'm that guy. Um, let's look at the guy who you know who really does come from a disadvantaged home, who doesn't you know who's who's you know mother's working three jobs to you know to feed the family. For him. To be able to earn hundred grand in college is enough to say now that burden it can be taken care of. I can, right. I can afford to stay. He in doesn't college. have to jump to go ahead and take care of his exactly. Family. And most guys, I wouldn't say most. I don't. That's the wrong way to put it. A lot of guys are pushed out because they have those mouths to feed, or they they have that person yeah. to take care of. And if there was a way to take care of it without having to leave, it would. Again, how many guys are we talking about? LeBron's leaving. LeBron is LeBron. Right. Right. When we did our statistical analysis, the top fifteen guys, the NBA is very good at identifying the top fifteen. It's 16 through 30, end of the first round is 50-50. Second round, zero correlation between where you're picked and making it. It's complete crapshoot. The idea is that 15 to 60 is the guy you're talking about, right? That guy, that the Tyler Lydon who came out, did he come out a year too early? Would he have benefited? Or, you know, another kid who would have said, you know, if I could have made 100, 150 grand in college, I would have stayed and I wouldn't have been able to support my family and develop as a player. Instead of, uh, even if I make... You know, uh, a minimum contract that's still a million bucks for two years. You know, I got to take that. And if that's all I get ever, that's all I get ever. Coach Griff will be next talking about how he thinks he should have been paid when he played. We'll be right back. Live from New York City, this is the Daniel Baldwin Show with special guest Danny Shays. Brought to you by Drivers Village, Installations Unlimited Black Friday Sale, GNC Foods Now Hiring, and Pathfinder Bank. Can't talk over. <laughs> I can talk over whatever I want. There's people that spent money. We're joined by you mean the great people at Pathfinder. The last person to get a triple double oh. at Syracuse University. Wow. 
Wow. A man who was uh, playing basketball the year I started in sports radio. Hey, I got a lot of single version. doubles. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a lot of triple singles. That's even more impressive. Alan, Coach Alan Griffin is here. Yeah. Gr- Griff, you know, great to have you on. Griff, didn't, you, know, you don't know the story. I just I blew up. I found Griff's spot. I blew up his spot now. <laughs> I know where to catch Griff. I'm not going to necessarily say unless you want to. Uh, uh, I, know, hey. I know Griff's spot. We could give my man some free uh, advertisement. Yeah, okay, man. Yeah. Big Lou. Big Lou. Oh, Big Lou. Big Lou. We went. Uh, I, I walk over. Uh, go over with Robin to eat at Atilio's, and uh, and there's Griff. And then I go into Atilio's a second, and there's Griff. <laughs> <laughs> good that, food over there. Yeah, really man. The food, food there is really good. Really good. Food. Lou's a good man. Yeah, he's a great dude. He's a good great man. Dude. Then I go to Lou's box. There's Griff. Oh yeah, that's my guy, Lou. I, I think I'm his bodyguard. I you're you're his bodyguard. Yeah, I'm his bodyguard. Yeah. yeah, he's a good cat. I like Lou. This year, Griff, you're you're a former point guard. What's it like been like so far this season with you guys out there with a basically a freshman and your other two point guards on the bench? Oh, it's been good to be honest with you because it's given uh, some guys that wouldn't have the opportunity, uh, uh, the the opportunity. Um, you know, Buddy getting some experience. Uh, you know Robert Braswell, uh, you know, and, and, and even Jalen Carey, who we're going to need uh, coming here down the stretch here to uh, be a really good team. We're going to need those guys to perform uh, in the in league. So, uh, giving those guys the experience uh, that they've gotten already is, is going to be great for us in the long run. You know, I didn't. I, I said this, and everyone laughed at me last year when I said I was. I was watching. I think it was. Uh, some kind of news thing or whatever, but it was it was Buddy Bayheim just Jim Ratting it. Right. And he, you know, was just stroking it. You know, and I know no one was guarding it, it wasn't AC. But you know, when you just have that delivery and you and you and you're not even looking, you're just taking the ball and, and letting it go. And he's hitting, you know, eight out of ten four times or something. And I'm like, Man, this kid can play. You know, he's and, and he's that Jim Rat kind of player. He'll just put it up, he doesn't care. Well when you, when you can make shots to start with you got a lot better chance of making them in the game than when you can't hit the, you know, when you're shooting <laughs> right. bricks to start with. Right. <laughs> Definitely. Right. You, know, you know what? The one thing about him is, is I can really say this. Um, he is a gym rat. Uh, the kid is in the gym all the time, and he's trying to perfect his craft all day long. And, you know, when you work like that, you're going to have a lot of success. Uh, and uh, he'll, he'll have a lot of success. What's yeah. it like for – Coach Babers always says the speed of going from high school – to Division One sports is more than going from Division One sports to the NFL. What's that like for a player to come in, like Buddy, like Jalen, in, into even just playing against a Moorhead State and stuff? What's that like for them? Oh, it's eye opening to be honest, um, because you get guys that are quicker, stronger, faster. I mean, it, it, and, um, and and so, and when you go up against the guys every day in practice, you kind of get the tendencies of when you go against somebody for the first time that's you know not that you don't play against every day uh it, it can uh, you know be an eye-opening eye-opening experience um and you know Jalen got that firsthand when we played against Moet. Uh, those little guards got up in them and you know they took the ball away from them a couple of times and uh, you know that's one of the things that coach you know always stressed to these guys is that you know you're not playing against our guys every day you're trying to play against your opponent you know so practice like that you know go as hard as you can every day uh, and and you know and I think uh, Jalen will bounce back from that, especially tonight. Well, you know, and when you when you make it, unlike last season, where there was a a clear divide after the sixth player, really, about who was going to play, you know, and so uh, you had guys that were playing so many minutes with, unless they were in really bad foul trouble, you know, they were going to play the whole game. Um, 
you know, now you look at guys who are competing for a spot. You know I mean, they really are. And I remember we had a coach in college, Coach Sal, who used to say, yeah, you can't middle of the road anymore, Kenya Baldwin. And he kept saying that to me. What he meant by that was when we ran defensive sprints, well, I could run faster than any lineman, anyone, offense or defense. But when I got into college, there were 295-pound guys who could run, oh, yeah. and there was more than two or three of them. Wow. They could all run. Now, there were a couple 350-pound guys who you were going <laughs> to run circles around, but still, you know, with the other linebackers, you weren't running with running backs, but you weren't beating even the big guys significantly. You had to run hard to beat them, and you did not want to come in behind them where you gotten drilled by the coaches. Mm-hmm. And I think the same is kind of what you're saying, Griff. These guys come up, and they're no longer the one or two best guys in oh, their yeah. conference or whatever. They're playing against it's all the number one and two best guys in the conference when you play at Syracuse University. Well, so. the, the flip side of that, you know, Paul, you're talking about you know, the speed. You think about it in high school, the 6'4 guy is center. Right. You know, now Buddy's coming in, the 6'4 guy is the two. Right. And the 6'7 guy is the three. And the 6'10 you know, you know, to 7'2 guy is in the middle. So, you know, there's no, none of this turning the corner and, you know, getting to the rim. There's right. none of this, uh, you know, coming half speed off the screen because you're going to get jumped. Right. And now you're playing, every guy you're playing against is, is your size. So you have to, you know, be sharper on your cut. You've got to be more efficient with your steps. You've got to, you know, shoulder to shoulder those screens. There's no, you know, there's no wiggle room anymore. Well, you know, Griff, I, I, you know my boy is the Chook. The Chook. <laughs> Chook is my boy. He's the my boy. Chook. I, I think I still, you know, go back to an era when I think about basketball, and I realize the game has changed, and, and, and I'm not, not acknowledging that it's a, um, a guard's game much more, but I still come from, a, you know, watching Danny Shays in the paint, controlling the pace of the ball and rebounding in the offensive and defensive glass, and the guards getting out after that takes place, you know, and the game was played inside back to outside. Wow. You know, now it's all about outside, you know, and it's all, all about that, and, 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 and it's changed. But when you have a presence in the paint, you know, they don't have – um, statistics for changing a guy's shot, wow. for making a guy miss. It's only if you block it. You know, how's the Chook looking? Good. The Chook is good. He's actually gotten much stronger since last year, uh, and he's much more confident. Um, the one thing that you know I left him with last year after, at the end of the game, at the end of the season, excuse me, was we can do as many hook shots as we want. We can do as many drop steps as we want. If you don't take, you know changing your body seriously then it's, it's you're going to have the same result um and he kind of took effect to that and um and uh he did a great job in the weight room and he's you know he's lifting four days a week uh even in season uh so um he actually looks good so uh, hopefully uh, tonight he can perform the way i think he can perform well the end of last year uh i saw dolce in the elevator and i looked at him and i looked him right in the eye and i said you need to come out to my house two days a week and eat. I said, I will show you. I'm a kid that went from 220 to 265 in one year in college. I said, you need to come out and eat, and I'm going to put you on the right. And he, he's, he's a really nice kid. Nice he kid. smiled. He looked at me. Now the kid grows another inch, right. and he's put on four pounds. Yeah, he grew the wrong way. <laughs> right. He's, he, he's, he's, he's almost seven feet tall now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. and, but he, he, didn't, he didn't put any weight on. He didn't look like he put much on. What, what is it with him? Uh, we, we had this discussion last year. He's so uh, – when he shoots, it's like he never misses. <laughs> it seems like why – is he afraid to shoot or is he just, you know you – No, know, nah, you know what? Marak is a, um, a, a very good basketball player. He has a very good basketball mind. Probably one of our 
better playmakers on our team. You know, uh, and it showed last year and it showed in spots this year. Um, the one thing he does is he, he knows his limitations and he just takes the right shot all the time. So it looks like he always make because he knows the shot that he's he taking. He takes high percentage shots. Yes, exactly. And the one thing is, his coach is not letting him go out there and jack shots neither. You know, yeah. but uh, he does a really good job. He's very selective in the, in the shots that he takes because he only shoots the ones that he can make, and that's why it looks like you know he's shooting a high percentage. He's made his last two threes. Oh yeah, he's been working <laughs> uh, hours and hours. If you come to the mellow during the afternoon every day of the week. He is on the gun with Coach Autry, and he is just doing form shooting. Sometimes Coach, Coach Autry is not there. He's on the gun still just doing form shooting, just getting the ball up. And uh, he's worked hours and hours on it, and you're going to see him make, you know, threes this year. Well, a good friend of yours who's a very, very good friend of mine who, by the way, said to tell you hello again today is Kiki Vandeway. And I remember Kiki and I were very, very close, and I said to him, I said, why don't you just shoot more? I mean, the guy shot like 80%. I mean, he was a deadly, deadly shooter. But he wasn't, you know, he had a couple years where he was over 25 points. I mean, he led the league one year, at twenty, or almost led the league at 29 points a game. But I said, why aren't you shooting 30 shots a game? And he's, you know, he just, he was that UCLA basketball mindset. He didn't jack it up. But I always wondered what would happen if he just bombed, if he did, you know, Lloyd Free and had one of those seasons <laughs> where he just chucked it up and didn't care if he missed for a while, you know, Adrian Dantley kind of stuff where he just, he shot 50% of the shots on the team. And I wonder, not that that's what Merrick should do, but when, when we had our conversation, Griff, and then I, and then I talked with Merrick, I said to him, you need to remember something. If they smell that you're afraid to shoot, if you're not going to shoot and become a legitimate threat, which is why they let him wander sometimes, and they slip back in the paint waiting for Tyrus or, or, or O'Shea to drive, I said, you're not doing service to the other guys because they don't believe you're going to shoot. Yeah, we talked about this a lot last year. They just didn't have some of the horses, right? right. The idea is when, when you're relying on guards to shoot, and especially a guy like Tyus who's so good getting to the rim, and right. when Frank was getting to the rim, you got to keep the bigs honest. Right. Yes. Right? And... You don't have to score a lot, but, you, you know, even having uh, when, when Pascal's in there, you throw it in a couple of times a game just to make the guards turn their head and see that there's a guy back there. Right. Right? So they can't just tow up on the three-point line the whole game. And uh, and that's the, the point you're getting at, right? The, the bigs in, in this in this lineup, when you have, you know, one, two, and three as your leading scores, right, you at least have to keep the defense honest so they can't just shade up on those guys and, and force the action the other way. And so that's... You know, and, and that's where when when Daywan struggled offensively, they just couldn't get, you know, they couldn't get him to be, uh, you know, enough of a score to keep that defense honest, and they could just overload yeah. everybody else. You know, and and that's where you know Marac actually turned the corner last year towards the end of the season is because he became more of a threat on offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, he started to make like if you look at the Miami game. Uh, one of the main reasons why we won the Miami game at Miami is because he had a big game there. Yeah, he scored like you know, 12. Yeah, game. I mean, if you look in the uh, ACC tournament against Wake Forest, he had a huge game, you know. Um, and and um, he started to be a lot more aggressive uh, towards the end of the season, which really changed our season last year. And uh, this year, um, I, I think he'll kind of bring that into fruition, you know, you know, moving forward here. How is this year affecting Tyus so far? He's playing point. He's this. This is a big year for a guy. I mean, this is an audition, and he's relying on all those guys around him. And he's playing point. Is he different this year as a leader? And and how's he handling having to play the point while he's 
not going to do that in the NBA. Yeah, you know, Tyus played a lot on the ball uh, last year, uh, especially in spots like if you go back to the Carolina game where we struggled uh, at, in the ACC tournament, we put Tyus on the ball. Uh, we put Tyus on the ball against Arizona State last year in the NCAA tournament. So Tyus has played, you know, on the ball a bunch of times for us. Uh, but, you know, you know, we just got to keep winning. I think if we win, everything else will take care of itself for a guy like Tyus. You know, I think, you know, right now, if you look at every draft, but, you know, Tyus is in a specific, you know, area on that draft. And, you know, and I think with us winning and him continuing to just be Tyus, it'll, you know, highlight, you know, him more. I, I just think that, you know, coming out him scoring 40 points and, and us being having a, a so-so year right. is going to change anything. I think yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that what we've seen early is that we really don't want Tyus on the ball for that much of it because, again, we want him to be that offensive threat. And he's the kind of player that when he's playing point, he's playing point. Mm-hmm. He's looking to you watch a play. He's looking to set guys up. He's looking to run the show. He's not out there looking to you know to be an Allen Iverson point guard taking thirty shots a game, and uh, you know so I think getting Frank Howard back. I think that, I mean that point guard position is going to be a huge key to this team because defensively you guys could be out of sight. I oh, mean definitely. you have all your guys back who understand how to play your defense. You know it gives you such an advantage as big as you are, as long as you are, and you know as deep as you're going to be this year. You know and then offensively can you turn the corner get the three point shot to be a, a weapon. And, you know, get you know Tyus and, and O'Shea looks great. You know, much more comfortable offensively. Yeah. Uh, you know, Buddy hasn't found a rhythm yet. We'll see if you know once you know Frank's handling the ball and he can settle into being a shooter. Right. You know, get to the shooter spots. You know, get a rhythm going there. Uh, you know, that's really the big key. This team is you know going to be a, you know really rely on its defense to win games, but the offense is something that when it comes together could you know turn this into a you know really really special, really special team. team. Yeah, we got a break. Let's go to break, and we're going to come back, and I'm going to pick your guys' brains a little bit more about this subject about Tyus and his role in the team and how that affects his uh, his possibilities when it comes up to the NBA next year. We'll be right back with more. Live from New York City, this is the Daniel Baldwin Show with special guest Danny Shades. Brought to you by Driver's Village, Installations Unlimited Black Friday Sale, GNC Foods Now Hiring, and Pathfinder Bank. He just says to me, Shea says to me, Danny Shays just says to me, he goes, hey, we'll talk about the Wahlbergs and the Wahlberg-Baldwin competition that's been going on on the Dan Levitard show. And so Danny says, hey, I heard Donnie has a good shot. I said, bring him in the paint. <laughs> bring him in the paint. Let me tell you my Charles Barkley story. Uh... You're going to appreciate my Charles Barkley story. So I'm playing in the uh, uh, golf tournament with Nick Sons, and I play with Charlie and Jordan and uh, this guy Quinn, who was the CEO of, uh, uh, of McDonald's. And, uh, and, of course, Charles played terribly. And so we walk up, and, and, and I learned a very valuable lesson at this time, because there's Marley and Ainge and a couple of guys at the dais, and they, they, they look at them and go, hey, how'd you guys play? I said, eh, I shot well, I shot a 73, you know, but and of course, the, Charlie walks in, and they go, how'd you play? I said, he played terribly. I go, he's a terrible golfer. He has no right to be on the golf course. He was so bad today, I could have beat him in basketball. And as soon as I said I could have beat him in basketball, there was dead silence. And everyone just kind of looked at me and gave me this kind of straight, stern face. And Charles liked to call me Little Fella because he knew I hated the nickname. And he, and he walks up to me and he goes, well, I'll tell you what then, Little Fella. Why don't you come on down to the shoot-around tomorrow and you and I can play some one-on-one. 
Now, I'm 35 years old. I play basketball almost every day. Again, I, I'm not dis- disillusioned to think that I'm going to beat Charles Barkley in basketball. But the opportunity as a basketball fan to go play one-on-one with Charles Barkley, of course. I'm there 45 minutes early with the with the thing of balls, and I'm chucking them up from three, and I'm really loose, and I'm stretching. And he comes walking out. It looks like he just got back from Vegas. His, his, <laughs> his warm-ups are hanging down halfway down his butt cheek. He hasn't laced up his shoes. He turns around. He takes one of the balls out of the rack, and he goes, go ahead, take it out. And I looked at him and I went, not even going to tie your shoes, huh? And he goes, oh, I go, listen, if you don't think I can run by you, I said, I can run by you. I go, you're going to want to lace up. I go, do you want to play or are we just going to hack it up? He goes, go ahead and take it out. And he had a pretty serious look. This is a guy that I've spent a lot of time with and I know. I've never really seen this face before. So I dink him to the left and I take off. I go right by him, two dribbles. I take off my left foot. And now... You don't realize that when you're a guy the size of Danny Shays that it takes one step to close the lane. Right. And so he drops one step back and sticks his forearm between my shoulder blades and blasts me. The ball goes flying out of my hand. <laughs> I smash into the stanchion thing that has the big rubber wraps around it. Face first, hit the ground. I lie back and I look up at him and I go, what are you kidding me? And, and I went, and then I realized, I went, every time I get the ball and he goes, you can't fell out of a pickup game, little fella. <laughs> Every and I went, okay, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. You know, these are big men out there. These are big, big guys, and it's a way, way different process when you're playing that jump to NBA size bodies and so on. What are you doing? We got a break again. Where are you going to break again? I'm just telling my story. Do you you can go. You can go now. I'll handle the board. Go ahead. Oh, look at that face. <laughs> you see? Oh, well, we got Charles Barkley face over here. Yeah, right? wow. He just went into his business. He's going to take me yeah. down. Take I want to talk. I want you to uh, – we'll go to break again and think about it. Does it affect – you know, I know he is playing on the ball now, and, and, and Tyus is playing at the point, and, and he won't have to do that all year. But does his being successful in Syracuse playing really, really well, even if he scores less point, enhance his value? Or is it all about him scoring 20 and, and shooting a better, higher percentage, and, and none of that matters? I And I have an even better question. What's your question? We'll ask, does Tyus need to be on the ball tonight? Hmm. Ooh. Ooh. We'll be back after dun, this. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, a crappy question. That's <laughs> a great question. What <laughs> a break. Live from New York City. This is the Daniel Baldwin Show with special guest Danny Shays. Brought to you by Driver's Village, Installations Unlimited Black Friday Sale, GNC Foods Now Hiring, and Pathfinder Bank. Hey now, we're back. Go ahead and ask you a big question. Go ahead, Paulie. So uh, what's the status of uh, the injured point guards at Syracuse University? I think it's a uh, day-by-day deal. Um, you know, uh, Frank's been in practice, uh, so... You know, whenever we see him tonight, (laughs) will we see him tonight? (laughs) Cover up. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I, I think it's up to, you know, coach and the medical staff and obviously Frank. If he feels good enough to play, then I think coach won't have a problem putting him in. But if he's if he's still, you know, doubting some soreness, I I think, you know, we just going to make sure that he's he's as comfortable as possible before we put him out there. And it's just UConn. Right. Just UConn. Just UConn. The only one of our longtime rivals. Yeah. You know, we're. Looking forward to beating up. Yeah. So, 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 
depending upon he but he's not going to play the whole game. They're not going to push him that hard. I doubt it. I mean, who would against UConn? So Tyus is going to play on the ball from uh, at at some point. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was a great discovery, Paulie. I'm glad that we asked that. Question. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to know if Frank was playing. <laughs> God's sake! Yeah. Now we got to go. No, now we don't have to go. So we've got other. Does shows. it affect? Go. Who cares? It's Brent Axe and Matt Park. For God's sake! Park no, my, it's actually worse than that. It's pa- stupid Seth. Yeah, park my car, Seth. <laughs> Seth, it's a, Seth, it's, Seth, Seth, it's a black Mercedes. Pull it right around, would you? Um, does Tyus? Playing the point and being successful, and Syracuse has a nice run. Let's just say, for, is that more effective for him than having to worry about whether he maintains a twenty-point scoring average when you're looking at him from the NBA? Definitely, I, I think I his think so whole success and everything is going to be predicated off of us winning. Uh, and and you know what? I think naturally his points are going to go down just because we got more players. Uh, right, he's going to get less opportunity. He's going to get less opportunity. Right. You know, and, and other people are going to help him carry the load, which at the end of the season is going to help us as a team uh, be able to be as strong as we can be uh, later on in, in, in the season. Yeah, so, and, yeah. and, you know, players on good teams always look better than scorers on bad teams. Yeah, definitely. All right, we'll be back from New York City tomorrow, ending this <laughs> right now. <laughs> Holy anticlimactic ending. Goodbye, everybody.